Baker Mayfield, undraftable, off my board. The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Okay, welcome in everybody. I'm joined by OBR beat writer, the man, the myth, and the legend, Fred Greetham, who is on the road down I-77. He is simply on his car stereo, so do not hold against him for trying to drive unsafely. This man can multitask. Fred, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing great. Just got off our OBR weekly with uh, Barry and Lane and had a had a, another rip-roaring time. I think we had 126, I think, on uh, so the show's grown weekly, and we had a we had a good um, time answering questions, talking Browns, and so just keep checking that out as well. Well, I'm going to keep checking out your Browns opinions because you're going to talk about your recent article you put up just yesterday. Uh, five steps uh, to put the Cleveland Browns in a position to compete for the NFL's top prize. So we're talking about an update of your five steps post draft. We'll start at the top. If you have not read this article. Do check it out because he tracks this thing as we go. The first thing you thought they needed to do was sign a top edge rusher. They have added Tack McKinley. Obviously, we know they added Jadevian Clowney. They signed Romeo McKnight as an undrafted free agent, but they did not draft a player there. Do you think they did enough, Fred, uh, at defensive end to feel good about it in 2021? Well, I do for 2021. I don't know if long-term, you know, if they'll be able, if they'll keep McKinley or Clowney around. They weren't the two guys I had in mind, but I don't argue with them. I heard somebody else, I think, namely you, thinking that before free agency, you felt safety was the top priority, and they went out and probably got the best safety in free agency in John Johnson. So I defer to them if if it's if if a safety's more important and that's what they got the top one, that's okay. But um, yeah, the edge, I think that. Clowney with his versatility. I mean, you're really looking for a breakout year, and you're hoping maybe he can find a home with the Browns. He's been bouncing around, former number one pick, four years now, I think, on four different teams, and with the one-year deal. And I think Tack McKinley's a guy that Andrew Barry is really, really high on. I mean, in 2020 during the season, he put in a claim three times to acquire him via waivers when he was injured. And he also tried to trade for him, according to McKinley, and, and who he talked to him. So if if they can catch lightning in a bottle and get the former one draft choice back to where he was when he came out of college, they could have something long-term because I think he's 25 years old and they could probably lock him down for a while. But, yeah, I think that the edge rusher, you know, isn't what I had in mind, you know, but I think they, they you know, held their own and the – budget in their analytics and when guys like Trey Hendrickson were getting 20 million guaranteed for the first year I think they just said you know we just aren't going to do that and uh, I don't have any problems with what they did they addressed it pretty heavily you know with those two guys and I think they also think Curtis Weaver they're they're pretty high on him I believe and that also plays into Maybe why they just didn't draft somebody to draft somebody. So, you know, those guys, you know, in Porter Custom coming back, they're hoping, you know, one of those four guys can really, you know, help. But I think obviously it's going to be McKinley and Clowney as your as your top options. 
I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, especially with the Curtis Weaver angle and what they think he could be ultimate their, ultimately their rookie. Uh, that if you consider it that he didn't play last year. So good stuff there on the defensive ends. Let's talk about signing and drafting a, a starting cornerback, which they did. Uh, they signed a nickel corner, Troy Hill, uh, to, to a contract that wasn't all too, all too long term, even though it says four years. There's, there's, uh, some pushback, avoidable years at the end of that contract. Uh, a nice slot, though. One of Pro Football Focus's better graded slot players, if not the top graded slot defender. And then Greg Newsom, we all know that he went out and spent a first round pick on the cornerback out of Northwestern. Also, undrafted free agents Emmanuel Ragumba and Keandre Thomas have been added to that group. Is that enough for you, Fred? Or do you still feel, which is a popular sentiment, that they should add one more player to that position? Yeah, I'd probably, if I could, I'd probably bring in a, you know, one-year deal with one of those veterans that are still out there, whether Brian Poole or there's a few other ones out there. But just because you don't have enough of those guys, we saw that last year. I think that's fresh in their mind. I like the Troy Hill signing, but going into the draft, I felt like, yes, they need more. Kevin Johnson, Terrence Mitchell went into last year as their number three and four corner because Greedy Williams didn't play, they ended up playing the whole year as the two and three. And you saw Mitchell did pretty well, but I I think Johnson was way down in production. And Troy Hill, I think, is way upgrade on Johnson and maybe even Mitchell. But with him, you want him to play the slot. So you need another outside opposite Denzel Ward. And we all hope Greedy Williams can come back. But if he gets hit on the shoulder in training camp or whatever, I don't think you can simulate a football hit until it happens. And you don't know what's going to you know, happen with that nerve issue. And like I said, everybody hopes that he's fine and able to bounce back, but you just can't take a chance on that happening again. And you bring in, you go get Greg Newsom, which I think was a major pick, and he can battle Williams if Williams might is the incumbent, I would think. But Newsom could beat him out. And if you do have a problem with with Williams, Newsom's there. But he doesn't have to start day one. And we know Denzel Ward has not played a full season. He's in all three years. He's played no more than twelve games. He's a great corner when he's on the field. But Williams, you know, has missed. 22 out of 34 games. So you you can't count on both those guys for the whole season. Now you have four guys at the top in Hill, Newsom, Ward, and Williams. If one's out, you got three others. And so hopefully, you know, the A.J. Green could be the fifth or another guy they could bring in to do so so you don't have to play a special teams guy in a playoff game. So I like what they did there, especially Newsom. I think that saved the off season, you know, I liked Hill, but it wasn't enough. I couldn't agree more. I've also been very vocal about the need for another corner in some capacity, so that's great analysis there. You talked about here, too, uh, the need to sign a starting free safety. We do know you've mentioned, I've talked about it, John Johnson was a huge signing for these guys. And they also drafted Richie LeCount, who I have not really gotten into studying quite yet. We'll be into, into him next week. Hopefully, hopefully, talking to somebody who covered him at Georgia for the uh, um, you know local media down there about who he is a little more as a player tomorrow. I think I, I think they've done enough with Grant coming back to to that position and 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 expanding with Ronnie and and some of the other things. But 
I would have loved one more safety that I could have trusted. It seems like Richie LeCount's going to compete with Sheldrick Redwine. Am I right in that thought process? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, with Woods wanting to play three safeties, I think you got three good ones in Delpit, Harrison, and Johnson. Um, the fourth one, I'm not so sure about Redwine. Last year, they had injuries in, in the secondary, and and they did not put him out there. I mean, they put Sendejo back in there. They trusted him more and Joseph than they did Redwine. And I saw him, I can vividly see him on a blitz, un, unblocked, bounce off the quarterback. I don't even remember what quarterback it was, but I'm like, he couldn't bring the quarterback down. And I just don't think he's the type of guy they want, you know, at safety. So I think LeCount could be, you know, push him off the roster. But I think you almost, if you're going to play three, you might even need five. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if somebody else comes along or, or even last year undrafted free agent that was with them. I don't know how, what they feel about Javante Moffat and Elijah Benton, but yeah, I think that I like the front line, and then it's just depth. You know, I think LeCount, I mean, a three-year starter at Georgia, I think he was a captain. I mean, yeah, he had the, the injury, but he could be, you know, those type of big-time college players, you know, on a big-time team have some talent. So it's just a matter of can he recover and get back to 100%. Yeah, the, the the point about Redwine not playing when big injuries happen and forcing Sandeo to play out of position couldn't be more accurate. People don't talk about that. They didn't trust. They did not trust Sheldrick Redwine to play until they absolutely had to play him. And I think there is a a real fringe roster thing going on there um, with with Redwine that that it probably needs to be talked about a little bit more. Uh, number four here is adding interior defensive line depth. I think. This is the area, you know, they, they obviously brought in Malik Jackson. They get back Andrew Billings from the uh, COVID office, the, you know, the COVID restriction list. Uh, Tommy Togiai, they draft in the fourth round. But then they added some guys here who I would consider unexpected in Malik McDowell, who they took a risk on, and Damian Square, who they brought in, who's passed around the league a little bit. Uh, the two the two unexpected signings, I mean, I did not expect them to go get Marvin Wilson. I am very much in favor of it, uh, but I did not necessarily expect them to. And then Malik McDowell was the first risky signing we have seen from Andrew Barry, who's not a part of that whole uh, tough, accountable, smart angle that he has been playing, which I applaud him for. They took a risk. So two things on this, uh, Fred. Do you think, A, there's enough here to be serviceable this year, or, or and, and then, B, were you surprised by the McDowell signing, or do you just kind of view it as Andrew Barry trying to do a guy a favor and maybe it works out and if not, cut bait? Or could it be something that people kind of point back to and say, now he's a GM who's willing to take character risks too? You know what I'm saying? He doesn't. It seems like there's been a hard line drawn there, but I'm not sure that, that that's the truth now. Right? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Right? Yeah, it's... um. I was taken back a little bit by it because it didn't seem like the type of moves he makes. Although he's in that that persona that he likes former like high picks that maybe didn't work out, you know, and they're in that area for their second contract, you know, kind of like last year, Carl Joseph. And he's, you know, he, he, from his scouting days, obviously he had him high. And I do feel that, they feel with now established the culture with Stefanski and what they have there and some of the veterans, I almost feel like they look at it as, look, we don't need you, and if you don't do exactly what we want, then you're gone. And so I don't think they're going to have a long you know, leash with the guy if he has any problem. But he, he said when we talked to him, you know, they had a couple months, I think, investigating and where he's at now. So it might have just been a young kid, got hurt, you know, in a stupid accident, had a lot of free time and a lot of money, and just, you know, didn't know what to do with himself and, you know, got himself in trouble. So, and one thing led to another. We'll see. But what I was more surprised with, to be honest, is letting Sheldon Richardson go just before the draft. Last year, they kept Olivier burning around to see if they were going to get a clowny or, you know, somebody to replace him. And then when they couldn't, they renegotiated his deal and he stayed. And they gave him $11 million to stay. Now, I don't know if they went to Richardson and he didn't want any part of it or what, but it just seems strange they did it right before the draft. And then, you know, you mentioned they drafted Togiai and then they – really looked at Marvin Wilson, I think, as another draft pick because they gave him more money than any undrafted guy I think has ever made. So former highly ranked guy, and then he fell fell way down, not, not even being drafted. So like you said, you bring in Togiai, McDowell, Square, and, you know, Wilson, you're hoping, you know, one of them kind of like throwing it against the wall and hoping – you know, somebody sticks to go with Billings and Elliott and Malik Jackson. I think that's kind of what they're looking at. And I think Square is kind of the, the, the Vincent Taylor from last year that if those guys don't work out, you at least got a serviceable veteran that can plug in in the rotation. Yeah, yeah, very, very well put there. And, and um, especially McDowell, you know, I, I'm a believer of second chances and people make mistakes and come out of it. And I hope it works out. I hope it works out for the better and he can find himself on the right path like Kareem seems to be finding himself on the right path. We'll talk about number five now, Fred, which is uh, the, the idea they needed to add a starting linebacker. I'd say they, they've done well here. 
They added Anthony Walker, who is a traditional Mike linebacker, who should be a good leader in the, uh, every aspect of the game for them. Preparation, locker room, all of it. And then they go get who many people think was the best linebacker, even a top 20 prospect in the class at pick 52, and JOK, uh, Jeremiah Wosukormoa. And then they go get Tony Fields, who's a fun fun player in the fifth round. Do you think that they've uh, they've knocked this one out of the park? Yeah, I do. I mean, we'll see when they get on the field. But Walker, you know, it's good. Goodson led the team in tackles and was pretty productive. But Walker is faster, and I think he'll be an upgrade. And and JOK, I think I've been writing about and talking about it all off season before it was fashionable that they need a guy that could that can handle Lamar Jackson, and obviously other players than just him. But there's more and more of these mobile quarterbacks. And you need a guy with speed who can run them down and not let them run 15, 20 yards on third and 15. Or, heaven forbid, a 35-year-old quarterback like Chad Henney, you know, <laughs> linebacker. And I think they've, they've done that with Fields and Phillips from last year and Walker and JOK. So, yeah, I think that all the way around, they've, they've upgraded nine – I, I figure they have 11 guys that are playing for the rotation that, that did not play last year on defense, and that's six unrestricted free agents, the three guys that didn't play because of injury or COVID, and then the top two picks in Newsom and JOK. So when you add 11 guys to Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett, you really got 13 frontline guys, and only 11 can play. So you've not only upgraded – you've added depth, you know, all around your defense and speed. Couldn't agree more. I'll ask you this question too, Fred. Is is it actually, you know, we talked about some great acquisitions and they've knocked out most of the things you said here, the five steps they've done pretty well. Are they genuinely a Super Bowl contender to you? Like you really think on paper they look like a Super Bowl contender or are they still a few pieces away from, and whether those pieces are guys not quite proven yet or guys that, that they've signed that we just don't know what, you know, there, maybe there's not a depth at some spot. Or do you think that as the roster sits today, it's good enough to win a Super Bowl? Well, it's the best roster I've covered in 30-plus years. Um, and I thought the roster was pretty good even two years ago. And, they, you know, Andrew Barry has really attacked it. He attacked the offense last year. And I wanted him, as you saw, my five steps didn't mention offense at all. All defense. And he added 17 guys on the defensive side of the ball. And, yes, I think that they are in that conversation. There's a lot of teams in the AFC, though, that are ascending. You know, Buffalo and Kansas City's not going anywhere. So a lot of things come down to injury and, you know, just the way things go. And that's why I think next year or this season they need to – get off to a good start, but it's all about winning the division. They need to set their sights on winning the AFC North and not hope to get in as a wild card. You know, the quickest way to the playoffs is winning your division, as you saw with the NFC East last year with a losing record. So you go out there and you win your division. It starts with shutting down Lamar Jackson. And, you know, you win the division, anything can go can go your way. You get on a roll. But I think they have the players. Um, I I wasn't saying the defense had to be like the 1985 Chicago Bears. 
they gave up 26 points a game last year, which was more than the offense scored, and we thought the offense was pretty good. <laughs> so if the defense could just get out of being like one of the worst in the NFL and get down to only giving up 20 a game, I think the offense will outscore them. But this defense could, you know, they could be in the top half. They could be in the top 10 if they all come together and stay healthy. So I think anything can happen when you have a really good defense and then an offense that's ascending with everybody returning in the starting lineup and your second year in the system. I mean, just look at what Josh Allen and the Bills, after he stayed in the same system for a little time, at the beginning, they were talking about a bust for him, and now they're talking about MVP in his third year last year. So I think that's what's on tap or possibility with with Maker Mayfield and the offense. Fred, I could not agree more, man. I think you made some very, very salient points here, and I think a lot of things that you're covering are a lot of things that we are talking about collectively here at the OBR about how well they have done this offseason. And I'll keep echoing my sentiment, which is, you know, they're a paper team right now, and, and you can you can say they're only a paper team, but every Super Bowl winner is a paper team, Fred. Some some paper teams don't go there because of whatever things that break down. Uh, it could be any number of things, injuries, coaching breakdowns, whatever, but you have to be a paper team to ever get a Super Bowl. That's just the fact. Well, no team, yeah, no well, team that doesn't have talent has ever won a Super Bowl. So you have to have the guys on paper, and then you make it right. So they're they're right there, man. Yeah, and I, I, I do think the biggest fear is the overhype, what we saw in 2018. But Freddie Kitchens, and they weren't ready for it, and they, weren't, they were overhyped. And it started, you know, I said at the time, the OBJ trade set up for failure, you know. He's not the kind of guy you bring in. You know, that would have been almost this year, kind of like how the Bills brought in Stephon Diggs last year. But, but they did what they did, and they couldn't handle it. I think Kevin Stefanski's the perfect guy. I heard him talk after they lost to the Chiefs in the playoffs, and he told his team, you know, last year, you know, 10 teams made the playoffs, and only five of them returned the next season. And so he was pounding in them from day one that they got to start all over again, and they cannot be thinking they've got it made because of what they did last year. So... I think his even-keel temperament, you know, will really go a long way. And some of these guys that were around last year will, will really help in the locker room. And, and I just think that they're not going to buy into the hype. They're going to hear, especially, you know, if they get off to a good start and, and everybody's talking about how great they are. Again, I've said it seven times, I think, on this pod, but there's the, it's, a, it's a great point that I couldn't agree more with. And, uh, um 2019's failure due to expectations and, and guys and you remember Fred that even people quiet players like Nick Chubb were talking about how they just thought it was going to happen for them they just they didn't take it serious enough and they didn't understand the work it takes to get where they wanted to go it's going to be with if 2021 goes the way we hope it goes you know because you do hope it goes and a lot of the NFL is 
simply a what team has the most motivation so often the motivation factor is very real and the, the nobody believes in us thing is very real and the 2020 browns thrived on that idea that nobody believed in us they keep counting us out we're going to overcome we're going to put in the work and we're going to overcome these odds and they did for the most part even though the team was not good enough on paper to get to the super bowl they pushed the limits of what they could become so now you have 2020s we know what the work is to get there we know what we have to do with 2019's understanding of we cannot let the expectations and the people talking about how the browns have the best roster now or they've had the best offs we shut that noise out and we can prove it on the field even though people continue to say we're great x y you know there's there's been such great lessons that have been learned over the past two years so uh they will hopefully roll that into this whole thing so he's at fred greetham on twitter he is the the single best beat writer follow i think you can find covering it from every perspective that he can we love him here at the obr uh and and you need to make sure you are following along with his work and chatting with him and checking out the uh not only checking out this pod but we'll have fred on the schedule show tomorrow and then we will uh we will ultimately have uh uh, you know, you will have an opportunity to ask Fred any question you would like to if you check out the YouTube OBR Weekly, which he wrapped up earlier. I know Fred mentioned that. So, Fred, thanks, man. Safe travels, my friend, and 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 uh, some steady shooting uh, as you as you head out on your adventure. <laughs> All right, thanks, Jake. Thanks for having me on. As you guys have deduced, that was a recording from earlier this week. You can find Fred's article on the OBR homepage his five steps. Uh, I did want to get that out to you because I think it's good opinion from Fred and good insights into where, you know, where he thinks the Browns have to go to get to where we all think they can go. And I wanted to share that with you here in the weekend as a little bonus podcast. So I do hope you enjoyed it. And thanks for bearing with us on the audio, making a call to a phone. We have excitingly part two coming out of the deep dive into these Browns prospects with a ton of particularly great stories on, on Richie LeCount and Marvin Wilson, but we will talk to folks about Tony Fields, a couple different people there from his Arizona, West Virginia days, and then also uh, we will talk to uh, somebody on uh, Tommy Togiai, Ohio State beat writer, and then we will talk with somebody as well on Demetric Felton. I think it's a, it's one of the better pods I've ever recorded. Round one was great. The first deep dive was great. Uh, hopefully you can you can learn more about these guys uh, in the back half of the draft because they're not as mainstream in their uh, in their journey so thanks for joining uh this this pod and listening and 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 taking some time maybe on a sunday or monday to do so uh, good insight thanks to fred greetham again and check out part two of the uh, cleveland browns draft deep dive uh, coming out on monday morning have a great sunday this is a monday for you have a great monday and we'll check in soon check us out on the pod this week we'll be live multiple times until then guys go back This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.